Welcome to this Kingdom Faith Yorkshire podcast from the August Family Holiday. This talk is by Paul Abel. So after they'd crossed the lake, the one in which the waves were threatening to sink it and the storm was threatening to sink it, the one in which Jesus was asleep in the stern, after they'd got to the other side, as Jesus had said, it's an interesting encounter, which we're not actually going to look at tonight, but just to say, of course, that's where they met Legion. Now, some of you might not know who they were. Um, but he was a man possessed of many demons. And Jesus deals with the issue, gets rid of all the demons, and then they get back on the boat and go back across the lake. <laughs> And it says, Jesus again crossed the lake. It's amazing how many times in Mark, if you look it up, it's back and forwards, back and forwards, round the coast, up and down. They're always in this boat. <laughs> and it's sometimes when you see what happens when they're in this boat, you wonder why they didn't just walk around the edge. <laughs> it's a long way, that's why. But it's like, wow. But you know, Jesus... One thing I learned from him when I read his stories is he never lived in reaction to the devil, but always in response to his father. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Jesus lived never in reaction to the devil, but always in response to the father. And if that meant a boat trip through a storm to the other side of the lake to cast out multitude of demons and then back in the boat to get back to where you were just before, he did it. And that's why he was asleep on the boat, because the disciples were reacting to what the enemy were doing. They were in fear. And why Jesus could stand in peace and say, be still, was because he was acting in response to the Father. And you know what? After this holiday, we are all going to be doing that far more. We are. I think we're going to be surprised when we're back as we begin to realize some of the things that God has done. You know, while you're still in that place, you don't necessarily notice so much. You know your your mind has been renewed when the outrageous, ridiculous thing of God is the one that seems logical. Or put it another way, when the impossible looks the best choice. It's beyond me, yes, this must be the one. (laughs) Faith doesn't come from striving with all these issues, but from surrendering to your master. So many people struggle, struggle, struggle. Surrender to your master. So they get back to the other side. And I like this. And as usual, (laughs) a large crowd gathered. We got the faith to believe that we too will be saying, 
And as usual, we met for communion, for breakfast time last week, Wednesday morning. And as usual, a large crowd gathered. Do you believe it can happen? Do you believe it will happen? I do. I mean, that's what God is preparing us for. That's what all this preparation, this, this time has been, ready to just turn that page. And the, the, the most beautiful thing of it all is God's not telling us to strive and try harder. He's just saying, just surrender. Or like this morning, just lie on the floor on your back, will you? Sometimes that's the best way to get something done. Just lie there and let God tell you what he wants to do rather than trying to work it out in 63 million conversations with different people. You know, sometimes we, when we get, uh, when, when somebody gets a, a, a diagnosis that's fear-inducing, they go and start talking to lots and lots of people. Now, if you know someone that's doing that, you need to stop them because what they're actually doing is trying to spread fear. They're not intentionally doing that. They're worried. They are fearful. I'm not talking about being hard and uncompassionate. But you need to help them to stop going to all these different people and lie down on their back in God's presence and hear from their Father. I don't say that harshly. I say that because that's what they need. And I'm not saying that we never talk to somebody in those situations either. But it is time of large crowds because there will be these people who are not hesitating to follow Jesus. And these people, that's us, who will reach out because we know to the unclean, because we know without Jesus we're the unclean anyway. We can no longer afford any sense of superiority for having our life slightly sorted out better than somebody else. It's so easy to look down on somebody that's got issues and sin in their life if you haven't in that area. And we've got to stop that. Because what it does is, it, what it is, is judgment. But we kind of feel it's not, but it is. And if we are judging others for their failure, then we too will be judged, says the scripture. I don't want to be judged by God when I don't need to be. I'd rather just be in his love and his forgiveness. But it's hard because you want to try and make it right. Sometimes some people are caught up in stuff, you just want to slap them. And you know, no, that's just me. <laughs> but alongside that church, We've got to grow up. There's, there's always going to be issues and problems. But let's overcome them in Christ. And let's drop some of those worldly ways of getting what we want and instead live for what God wants. He says to leave behind control, manipulation, getting your own way. He says, trust me. And you might say, well, I won't get what I want. Exactly. But you might live in what God wants. And if you start living in what God wants, 
and you trust God to give you what you need rather than what you think you need, you will come into an era of prosperity in ways you would not have dreamed of. Because prosperity is a lot more than having some cash. Anyway, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> Among the people was one of the synagogue leaders called Jairus. And as soon as he saw Jesus, he came and fell at his feet and desperately pleaded with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her, for then she will be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him. I mean, isn't that awesome? This is Jesus on his... I mean, he's only got about three and a half years of actual ministry as the Son of God. He's a busy guy. And he's just been floating across the lake in a storm, stilling it, casting out demons, and he's just got back again, and the synagogue leader is like, come! Of course. He doesn't seem to mind that this leader just wants him. Because the heart of Jesus is to go and be with everyone that calls on him. I mean, we, we, I keep quoting this scripture, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. And this is how Jesus was. Now there are a select group of people that exhaust themselves in giving. But let's face it, most of us are not those people. They're great people to have around because you can use them as an excuse for saying we mustn't exhaust ourselves. But let's face it, most of us aren't those people, are we? <laughs> My wife is one of them, but you know. She exhausts me just making breakfast with her energy and fire. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. He's thinking, what are you going to do when Kate listens to the talk? That's what it is. We're doing the marriage empowerment with uh, Jossie and Hannah right now, so he knows I'm going to answer for that one. Um, let's branch out for a minute. This is the verse, this is John writing, where that little bit comes from, as he is, so are we in this world. And let's just put it in a little bit of context, because we could get a bit carried away. By this love, he's been talking about the love of God that is perfected with us. It was an interesting thing that God's love is being perfected in us. But anyway, why? So that we may have boldness or confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Suddenly, judgment linked with that nice little phrase doesn't sound quite so exciting. But how do you think Jesus feels about the day of judgment? Worried? Might get caught out? Might get judged for something? No, of course not. He's completely innocent. But as he is, so are we in this world. We're not going to be judged. So we, can, we walk with a confidence, we walk with a boldness, knowing that as Jesus was, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Because, and in the next verse is that other one that people quote a lot, or the next part is, because there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Did you know that was in the context of judgment? 
So there's no fear of judgment because we are living in the perfect love of God, knowing he is with us. God is in a good mood. Tonight, God is in a good mood. He wants to do something amazing in your life. Tomorrow morning, God will be in a good mood. <laughs> He's always in a good mood. Don't tell me he hasn't got mood. He made us lot, and we've got plenty of them. <laughs> he certainly has moods. But he's up good, because he is perfect. And ours are not, because it was wet, or damp, or cold, or maybe windy. <laughs> There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And that's where John goes on to write, we love, because he first loved us. Why would we fear God's judgment when we see what he did for us to avoid it? Why would we fear God's judgment not just at the end of time but in our day-to-day -day lives when we see what he did to enable us to free, to be free, to live free? I mean, it does sober us up and say, right, I'm really going to face and deal with this issue in my life. What issues are going on in your life? Do you have a problem with gossip? You know, we focus on the bad sins, don't we? But God hates gossip. Are you a glutton? Do you eat too much? It's all in the same lot. Do you take drugs? You say, well, that's not fair, drugs and, and overeating. Yeah, it's the same group. It's just living beyond what God has given you and using it not to enhance your life or enhance your body, but to destruct your body. It's the same thing. How do we get free of these things? We've got to look to Jesus. We've got to look to his word. We've got to worship him. We develop our relationship with him. And we, a determination and a strength will build up with us that lets us to say, no, I am not doing that. But it will come from love, not fear. God doesn't want us to avoid sin because we fear him. He is not a tyrant. He wants us to avoid sin because of our passionate love for him and wanting to live for him. It's a bit different, isn't it? You've got to show a lot of love to change somebody. But he's shown a lot of love. So he went with him. And a large crowd were followed and were pushing and shoving from all sides out of a desire to be near Jesus. Are you willing to push and shove to be near Jesus? Are you? Or are you a bit Christian? <laughs> I mean, pushing and shoving to be near Jesus doesn't sound like some worship I know. It sounds a little bit more perspiring. A friend of mine used to say, you haven't praised God till you're sweaty. <laughs> but it's that idea of, I am going to meet with God. I mean, I don't know, I was pretty lost in God tonight, so goodness knows what you lot were doing, but I assume... <laughs> You were all pushing through too. I mean, tonight I spent quite a lot on my face, so I could, you could say, well, that didn't look very great effort. But 
the effort was inside of a desire to see God move amongst us. And it's like, I'm not accepting the mediocre. I frustrate our worship team sometimes because they're doing an awesome job and I say it's not good enough. We can go further. Last night, the worship was good. It was good. And then I was going around and capturing a few key people and say, right, pray for a breakthrough. Intercede. This is not good enough. We can go further. We had a whole bunch of new friends with us that had never experienced that kind of breakthrough worship. And so often when there's people that aren't used to what you do, you can sort of moderate what you're doing and, and lower yourself a little bit. But at one point, I don't know if you noticed, it was, I would say it was about the point where you started singing um, that covert bit from uh, that hymn. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> when I survey, you sung the love so amazing, so divine part, didn't you? And I thought at that moment it was like, the clouds parted and light entered into the room. It was good before that. It wasn't good enough. I'm not accepting good when we can break through into God's greatness. That's not striving, though. That's a surrender to God. I'm not allowing my personal thoughts, feelings, tiredness, weakness to stop the encounter that everybody in this room needs to have with God this evening. It's not Pete's the leading tonight, or John was leading at one point as well, and probably everybody else, as I said, I didn't notice, really. Um, because I was gone with God. The, the best times with God are when you actually forget everything that they're doing completely. Yeah, we always tell whoever's actually sort of the main worship leader that the nights that they're invisible are the best. You don't want famous worship leaders. Because actually it's the Holy Spirit that leads the worship anyway. All, all the worship leader really does is lead the band and keep the band together because we're all following together the Holy Spirit. But this crowd were pushing and shoving. We need a generation of people pushing and shoving to be near Jesus. I mean, we had the unconventional digging a hole in the, in the ceiling and lowering your friend to the feet of Jesus. But we need the people who are prepared to push and shove and say, I'm getting through. And you might look along your entire row if it's a, a church gathering or church meeting, and the whole meeting might be waiting for God to move. Oh, well, when God moves, that's when I'll start calling out. For a moment, I'll just wait on the Lord. You're not waiting on the Lord. You're just being lazy. You need to be part of the team, part of the group, part of the people of God who are calling on God and calling down heaven and praying effectively. Your kingdom come here right now at this minute in the hearts of every person in this room. Because worship is basically saying, Jesus, you're the boss, you're the king, you're the Lord of my life. Not, well, I might respond when God is really moving and when the spirit really begins to move. It's like, no, I'm getting in there. I don't like this song. So? That's what I'm saying on that. 
Among this pushing and shoving bunch was a woman. Now, this is the woman who had been suffering from bleeding for 12 years. We don't know exactly what. Some chronic internal hemorrhage. What We don't know. But the problem with an internal bleeding for a woman is she's just like the leper. She is considered unclean. And this woman is risking her life because if people started to find out that this unclean woman is amongst all this pushing and shoving, they could turn on her because in their way of thinking, that unclean woman in our midst, she's going to make us all unclean. Oh God, that I didn't touch her, that I didn't connect with her. The unclean people... The people who are not yet connected with Jesus or connected with us will not stop us from meeting with God. The Holy Spirit is not worried because some sinners wander into the house of God. In fact, he's rejoicing. They're letting them in at last. He'll deal with the shower and the cleaning. They haven't got to get clean before they walk in because God's going to do it. Every, Every church should... Not really be allowed, not really be able to leave handbags on their chairs because they'll be nicked, because there should be thieves in the building. I'm not encouraging you to be the thieves, and we will call you to repent if you are. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not talking about church becoming a dangerous place. I'm just saying it's full of people pushing and shoving to get near Jesus because they've heard he accepts the unclean, he accepts the unacceptable, which is who we were, but we're not anymore. She'd spent all her money on doctors to try and alleviate her suffering, but to no avail. You know, we can spend all our money on ideas and schemes. But really what we need is Jesus. That doesn't mean we won't produce anything and we won't have anything because God will give his people his ideas. We heard from Kath today about uh, this, I suppose, discipleship book that she's written which just enables you to sit down, disciple, mentor, one-to-one with somebody. That is a God tool anyone can use that God has given to us for this time as a church. Wouldn't it be great to just see that multiply? You know? Just multiply throughout the church. You, you can take somebody through that book if you've been saved a week. Well, if you insist, a day. Because you just need to be a couple of steps ahead of the person you're leading. You'll have to read it before you go and do it with them just to make sure you know what it says before you go and do it. And you say, but they might ask me a question. So? What do you say if you don't know the answer? Sorry, I don't know the answer. (laughs) You're not expected to know all the answers. You know a man who does. Let's pray and ask God about it. When when we we planted our first church, 1993 Elohim Church, when we planted that church, we knew nothing. We were terrible in some of the mistakes we made, but all we could ever do was, well, I don't know how we're going to do that. We'll just have to ask God and see what he says. It was like that all along. Sometimes we didn't quite hear him clearly because I was only 25, I think, 25, 24. And and so we were too scared to call me the pastor because I was too young. So I was the leader of the leadership team. That speaks to me of what man does to when God makes things simple and we complicate it. Well, we can't call him the pastor, so we'll call him the leader of the leadership team. 
I didn't have it on a badge, leader of the leadership team, Paul. It would have been a bit awkward. <laughs> and it took a man of God at our church one day who said, well, that's ridiculous. He's your pastor. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> but we didn't know we would just say well God what do we do and we'd wait till he said we didn't have any children's work for a while because God hadn't told us to he said well your church you have to have it no we didn't you don't have to have anything what we've got to look for is God's pattern he said well, wasn't that awkward yeah it was but we did it until God said now do it and then we did it and it was at the same time as the church suddenly grew, so we moved out of a small room where the children then met that we first had, and we moved into a bigger room. It saved us an awful lot of hassle in the meantime of trying to make something happen because we were church. We have to hold everything we do lightly. If we haven't got that message from Faith Camp stopping last year, we'll never get it, will we? Everything we do, even something that is successful in the lives of thousands and makes money, as it did in its last few years for the first time ever. <laughs> even that can go. I mean, Pastor Colin used to say, every year, we don't know if we're doing it next year, we'll pray and ask God. And we used to laugh because we knew that that wasn't true because we always did it until the year we stopped. Oh, we did mean it. He's meant it for 36 years. But everything's like that. Everything. Because God is, God is energy. It's, it's changing and evolving. And, uh, and he gives us things to do, and then it changes. Every, every role gives us. Every role God gives us. Every leadership post that God gives us. Hold on to it lightly. It's not your identity. It's completely separate to your calling. It's just how you're living your calling out at this moment. At some point, God will say to me, stop being the senior leader of this church. It's time. I've got somebody else or some others. And I can't say, well, I, I, I was there at the beginning. I've got to carry on doing it. When, when, after we'd been at Elohim four years, the church I was just talking about planted, that was when God said to us, and now you're, go to, you're now to go to Roffey Place and handle this over. We can't handle this over. Lord. We planted it. We've only been here four years. How can we go? Do you know, we told the church, we've got to go, we're going next year, we've got one year left with you, and we're not coming back because God has said we won't come back. And that year, the church doubled in numbers. And we, didn't e we weren't even able to tell the people who the next pastor was. That's madness. How does a church grow when the leader's saying, I'm leaving soon, see ya? Kate okay, and I were going down to Bible college. I know, it was odd. We'd been pastors and we're going to Bible college. My life's never been normal. <laughs> now, God had told me who the next pastor was going to be, but she said, I'm not. And there was also an issue when God first told me, because this was 19, whatever it was, 97. When God told me who the next pastor was, I was like, well, it can't be. She's a woman. Because at that time, I believed men could, it was only men that could pass the churches. So I had this issue because I knew God was speaking to me, but I knew he was wrong because he obviously hadn't noticed. <laughs> and I knew that the church would have a similar issue because the pastor <laughs> had also conveyed this message of, 
you need a man in charge. I didn't, we had women in leadership, but you needed a, a man to pastor the church. So God worked on me, but of course the woman also believed women shouldn't be in leadership. <laughs> and there was this other problem that she actually had lupus. I don't know how much you know about lupus, but it makes you quite ill. Uh, and, and she had no energy. Uh, and uh, and the, her life forecast at that time was not actually very good. So she was a woman. To all intents and purposes, she was very, very ill and possibly dying. And God said, don't worry, Paul, when you leave, you're giving the church to her and her husband. But he wasn't to be the leader. He was to lead with her. But she was going to be the pastor. Now, the date that we were going to move was the end of August. And at the beginning of August, we were all going to faith camp. We still, or there was still no public knowledge of who the next pastor was. But it was God's program, God's event, and you just have to trust him. The pastor that took over, her name is Lynn Eveson, a marvellous woman. She pastored for about 15 years, that church, and then passed it on to somebody, and now it's somebody, in fact, it's her daughter now. There was just somebody in between them. Uh, and I know her daughter really well. In fact, she was in my class for a while in primary school. <laughs> she got really angry with me because I made them write the Lord's Prayer in a, in a modern language, and she was a very traditional Anglican little girl. There was one other girl in the class that got really, really angry with this rewriting of the Lord's Prayer, and she now leads worship in that church. <laughs> so if there's any teachers in the room, they might join your church. <laughs> but Lynn said to me just before we went, it'll be sorted out at faith camp. And the way she said it, it was one of those... This is what God's told me. It'll be sorted out at faith camp. And the funny thing was, God genuinely said to me at that moment, just take the tea out. It'll be sorted out at faith camp. If you take the tea out of it'll, it becomes I'll. <laughs> and at faith camp, she was completely and utterly healed of lupus. There was a call forward from the main stage. God says he's going to heal somebody from lupus this morning. And it was one of the old days, so there was about 5,000 people in the sheep shed. And she and one other person walked to the front. And she was completely and utterly healed and set free. And in that moment, God said to her, Lynn, you're the next pastor. And she came back to me and said, God's told me I am the next pastor. I was very tempted to say about flipping time, but I didn't. <laughs> And she was a great pastor of that church. But it was all God's timing. It's, we don't react to the devil. We respond to the Father. And this woman had tried all the, all the things, and it hadn't worked. The problem had only got worse, it said here. But having heard about Jesus, she pushed her way through the crowd. Will we push our way through the crowd? I don't think it's a crowd of people. I think it's a crowd of doubt. 
and all those other stuff that we were talking about leaving on the carpet this morning. I mean, the next time those things come back, because they will, because they won't really be coming back, but the devil will be going in your ear, and stupidly enough, we listen. Well, don't we? Oh, yeah, I do feel bad. Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're really bad. <laughs> yeah, I am. You've been really hard, don't I? Yeah, I have. Nobody loves you. Nobody loves me. He doesn't like you at all. I knew he didn't like me. <laughs> That's all the devil is. He's a little sock puppet in your ear, really. <laughs> Be out of here. <laughs> but this woman, she wasn't listening to no voice of fear. Any moment she could be grabbed and stoned to death and still she's going to meet with Jesus. You know, sometimes we just don't feel like going to the gathering. Now, you know that I believe that the household of God is the household of God and we are the household of God wherever we are. Even Audi. I know. Astonishing, isn't it? You can be the household of God in Audi. And Lidl. Some of them are doubting that one, but you know. <laughs> but there is also something intensely important about the gathering. There's the gathering in homes, house church we call it, and then there's the, the gatherings. I mean, our Sunday morning gathering is the people coming together to be the body of Christ together, to worship God together, to hear from God together. What is his plan for his body? Of course, we all hear and meet with God at other times during the week. And if you're not sure how to do that, talk to Brian. He'll tell you how to get a good quiet time. He thundered it into me. But that coming together, there's something about it. You don't want to go this morning, you're a bit tired. You don't want to go this morning because Frida said you were fat. You don't go this morning because you have to buy the coffee. It should be free. <laughs> we push through the crowd. This is important. <laughs> and if you find any others straggling on the way in, just grab them by the hand and take them there, even if they're still in their pajamas. Yeah. It's not that the gathering is everything, but it is that the gathering is really, really important. It's so, stop it now. <laughs> it's just so popular to think, oh, we can meet with God anywhere, which is absolutely true, we can, that the gathering together is not important. Of course it's important. What would you look like if you were scattered in five different counties every Sunday morning? Robin with his head in Sussex, his arm in Yorkshire. <laughs> and who knows where his nose is? <laughs> and where did he leave that leg? <laughs> she pushed her way through the crowd, come up behind him. And this is really interesting, because where did she get this from? You have a look. It's not anywhere else. She touches him. 
which was very audacious because he's like the rabbi at the very least in her belief. We don't really know quite what she thought. She just knew he was the answer. Has she had a revelation that he was God yet? We don't really know. But we know that she had faith that touching him was going to get her healed. But we don't really know where she got it from. You check it. There's nothing that says, thou shalt touch the Messiah and be healed. But she's got something. She'd heard God somehow. She was going to touch him. Because she thought to touch his clothes will be enough, I will then be healed. You see, she didn't want to do what the synagogue leader had done and say, can you come and heal me? Can you lay your hands on me? Because she was scared that she'd be rejected because she wasn't acceptable enough. She's unclean. Of course, no Jewish priest, rabbi, teacher, whatever he is, is going to want to touch her. But if I could just touch him... He won't even know. But what faith? But what sadness? It's kind of a, a mixture of wonderful faith and complete unbelief, all at the same time going on. But you see that the unbelief is what has been pummeled into her by her society, by the people she lives with, because they have reinforced over the many, many years of this long bleeding, you're unclean and you're unacceptable to God, make sure you don't touch anybody. But how many people, and we've been included in this, have had that hammered into them? You're not acceptable. You're ridiculous. You're rubbish. You're too small, too big, too wide, too tall, whatever it is. It probably started when they were children, and it never really lets up. Let's push through all that and touch Jesus. And of course, her plan completely backfires. Well, sort of. She just wants to touch him, get healed, and run off. <laughs> For anybody notices, this, this, this woman is daring to do this. When she touched him, Jesus knew that power flowed out of him. He knew that somebody had touched him with faith. He turned round and asked those near him, who touched my clothes? It was, as a Jewish rabbi, he would have had, oh, what do you call it? I've forgotten, Richard, you'll know. Oh, he doesn't. Talif. Talif. He'd have had his talif, which would have had tassels, and it was probably one of the tassels she reached out to touch. He'd have been wearing it, so he didn't really say, who touched my clothes? He would have said, who touched my talif? And the disciples said, I mean, they don't quite say, you idiot, but you can almost hear it there. You can see how many are pushing and shoving to be near you. Why do you ask such a question? <laughs> this is Jesus, <laughs> the Son of God. God's standing there and God says, why is somebody touching me? God, are you okay? <laughs> Everybody's touching you. How many times, though, has God said something to you and you've said something like that back? What, God? No. Oh, well, we're just the same. It's easy to think the disciples were a bunch of bumbling fools when they're actually an example of how we all are. 
To touch his clothes will be enough. To touch his talif will be enough. I will then be healed. Sure enough, as soon as she touched him, the bleeding stopped and she knew that her body was healed and that her suffering was, it was ended. She touched him and Jesus knew that power had flown out of him. And he turned around and asked those, who touched my talif? The disciples said, you can see how many are pushing and shoving to be near you. Why are you asking such a question? There's so many people trying to touch you. But Jesus would not be deterred. Who's touched my talif? But he kept looking around to see who had touched him, not just physically, but with faith. The woman, knowing she'd been healed, came forward. It could almost say, the woman, knowing she'd been caught out, <laughs> came forward and fell on her knees because she knew she was in trouble. She'd touched the rabbi. She'd made the rabbi unclean. This great priest of God, this, this great man of God was now so unclean, he'd have to go off and get ritually clean and he wouldn't be able to minister and he wouldn't be able to heal. He wouldn't be able to do anything because her sin had got on God and now God was in a mess. So she knew. She was ready. She'd have been trembling for the stern word and the possible stoning to follow to ensure that cleansing. Fell on her knees before Jesus, afraid that he would be displeased. She told him truthfully, what a woman. She's brave, give her that. What she had done and why. Listen, Jesus is never angry with those who touch him. He's never angry with anyone who's trying to reach out towards him, no matter how they're doing it. Sometimes we think that's a bit of a peculiar way to get to Jesus. He doesn't care if they're trying to seek him. That's why you'll find believers in all kinds of strange places with slightly odd beliefs, because all they knew, they did what they could do and reach out and touch him. All over the world, there'll be people who, 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 who have fallen in love with Jesus and know Jesus and have got a very weird theology because all they knew was they needed to reach out and that's all they've got until someone came and told them some more. But even in our communities and our towns, there are people who've already reached out, have already touched Jesus, but don't actually realise yet that the church is the place to grow and develop that and mature in that faith because they'll be amongst his body. Because they think the church is something very different. In fact, they probably think they won't be acceptable. And I'll tell you something that I think you might be shocked by. They might be a Buddhist. They might be a Muslim. They might be a Hindu. There might be all kinds of things going on in their life. But something said, I just need to touch him. And we need to recognize God is working in this person. And the first response is to accept that person so that they can grow into a complete faith in God and sort out whatever else is going on. This woman, in the religion of the time, should not have been anywhere near Jesus and should not have touched him. And nobody had actually done this to him before. Jesus could have turned around and said, where is that in the scripture? But Jesus was not angry or upset, far from it, for he said to her, my daughter, it would have been a real term of endearment and care. I think at that moment she might have stopped trembling. You are healed because you showed such faith. She was prepared to push and shove at any cost to touch Jesus. You can go in peace and remain free your days of suffering are over.
Oh, that we would be this people like this woman. I'm going to touch him. I'm going to take hold of him. I'll, I, I'll overcome the negative thoughts, the doubts, the fears, the tiredness, the I'm too busy. I've got to push through all of that because I've got to touch him. And during this conversation, because this poor old Jairus still, and this is shocking and horrible really, some members of Jairus' household come with the news that the synagogue leader's daughter had died. There's no point in troubling the teacher any further, they said. Can I just say quietly, never stop troubling the teacher. What is Jesus' response to this advice? There is no point in troubling the teacher. Well, I don't know what it says in your translation, but hearing this, it, just, it will say the similar thing. Ignoring this, Jesus said to Jairus, we need to, this is what we need to do with unbelief, whether it's our own or somebody else's. Let's just ignore it, shall we? So, it's what they believe. They believe their unbelief. <laughs> Let's ignore it. It doesn't matter. The person that brings people to belief is God. Well, just talk about what we believe and let God do the rest. Remember what we were saying the other night? We don't have to win the argument. We don't have to ridicule and mock what other people believe. It's usually, they're usually sincere and intelligent human beings. We've got to stand against this culture that's currently in our world where the way to win an argument is to try and make the other person look stupid. Anybody that disagrees with you is stupid and a fool and an idiot. What kind of a world are we demonstrating to children when that's the way adults are talking to each other and leaders of nations are talking to each other. We've got to resist that. I mean, we can make jokes and have fun about things. We'll make jokes and have fun about what we believe. Have you heard about the latest helpline number for atheists? It's a free phone number, 0800 number. You dial it and it rings and no one answers. <laughs> so, you know, maybe that is a bit too dodgy. <laughs> but I haven't told any jokes. <laughs> Push them all down again. I am. Jesus said to Jairus, there is no cause to be afraid. Continue to believe. We are going to face situation after situation where there is every cause to be afraid and every cause to give up. And maybe because We've been in similar situations before and it didn't turn out the way we wanted it. Especially when it comes to healing and miracles. There's not a person in this room 
that's not seen prayers for healing happen in the way they wanted it to. And the enemy would want us to be afraid to do it again. In fact, he's probably delighted when we're afraid to do it again. But somehow we need to find this strength of Jesus. Ignoring this, Jesus says there's no cause to be afraid. Continue to believe. And that's both wonderful and terrifying. But we don't get our theology from what doesn't happen. We get our theology from what God does do. And Jesus is our perfect theology. And if Jesus is doing this, this is the way of the truth. And everything else has not been. And that's tough when you've lost people and friends or friends have suffered. It's incredibly tough. It was like I was saying the other night, if we invented a medical cure, Alzheimer's, I used, didn't I? We wouldn't hide it because it wouldn't be fair to all the people that had suffered before. We want to press on. And all I can do with these things is say, I want to press on so that others don't experience what I've experienced so that they can have this cure. And in fact, we will stand upon those things rather than let them push us down. We will grow from the courage of those people that we knew, even though they're now promoted to glory. We will stand with them. We will stand knowing that we will be with them. And when we're with them again, it will be like that. But for now, we will continue to believe because we will push through the crowd. This is how the people of Jesus grew. These guys did not have an easy time of it. In fact, Most of them were used to dying much younger than any of us anyway, because that was just life then. But also, the sheer persecution and the trouble that happened in men in their lives. But they knew, got to press through. Got to push through. It's worth it. God, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Which means it's not here. It's that we pull it down. This is not heaven. But we have access to heaven to pull down now both for us and for our families and for our towns and cities around us. It is beyond us. It's completely beyond us. The grief and the other just overwhelming emotions can press us down. And if they do, lie on the floor and let them soak into the carpet and then stand and pick up your mat and go. It sounds impossible. It is impossible. But no word spoken of God will come without the anointing and the power 
and actually the love and the joy and the peace to enable you to walk in that goodness of God through everything. We are that people. We will be that people. We will be stronger. It's not that these things, you don't, sometimes people say, oh, well, you'll get over it. You won't. And you shouldn't. But you won't be hampered by it. You will be enabled by it. But it'll always be there. If it wasn't always there, it would be like that person's life didn't count for so much. You don't get over somebody. You carry them with you for the rest of your life. And you remember the good, and you remember the success, and you remember the victory you did have, and you remember the blessing of the years you did have. And then you remember that there are good years ahead. Recently in Kingdom Faith Yorkshire, a few people, this is, I, I bring this in because I'm talking of sorrow and grief when there is parting. But also, you, there can be parting when, when people leave the family and leave the church. And we've had dear, dear friends, and we still love them. People like Alan and Anne, and Chris and Bridget, and Roy and Teresa, and Robin and Val, some of you would have known, have come, and most of them have left by sending a Facebook or a text message. And we said, well, come at least one last time so we can pray. We want to bless you wherever you go. We want to pray. I still pray, and we must pray together for these people. Let's pray blessing upon whatever they're doing, wherever they are. This is kingdom, not just one little church, that they will be fruitful and successful in what they're doing. And there will be a blessing on their family, and there will be a blessing on their children, and a blessing on their grandchildren. We pray blessing. The worst thing that can happen is, you know, I don't want to be, for example, that I would meet Alan or Anne on the street and feel a little bit awkward. I want to run up and hug them and say, it's great to see you. Would I have, would I have, that they'd taken up that offer to come and, 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 and pray so that we could just bless them and say, blessing upon you and fruitfulness in the way God uses you in future in ministry. They didn't, but I'm not going to hold that against them or, or you know, there's a bit of sadness, but I, I want to let that go so that when I see them, it's like, oh, it's great to see you again. Come in. Because we're different. We have a different spirit. We're not going to carry that. You know, and it can be tough because, oh, church is such a funny thing. But remember, most of these happen because of me, 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 me. So I'm not giving any further victory to him if it was a victory. And if you're feeling... And there can be a sense of loss and grief because these are people that have been part of your life and suddenly they disappear or maybe you got more contact with them. That's fine. Because then the other thing that happens is, say you're friends with Chris and Bridget. I mean, they weren't with us that long, so it might not be the case, but let's use them. And you want to meet up with them for a cup of coffee or have them around for dinner. Meet up with them for a cup of coffee. 
Go to dinner with each other and enjoy one another's company, but don't feel like you've got to sneak in in case I see you or the leadership sees you. Awesome, wonderful. Keep the connection. Again, I wish, I pray they, they would have taken up that invitation for us to, on a Sunday particularly, say, this is what they're doing. Because what happens is that then there's somebody missing and people say, where's so-and-so, where's so-and-so? What happened? Was it? You know, it's... Let's kill gossip. We love them. I wasn't intended to say that tonight. But we need to all be saying that. I mean, the bottom line is, we can be rather a difficult church to be part of. We're a bit full on, aren't we? You know? Great, that's what I want to be. (laughs) And that's what you want to be, so that's fine. But it can be a little bit stressful. Yeah, we do believe in my old Sunday school Jesus 24-7. I've never gone for anything else. That's why we called it that. That's why we taught children, this is your life. Live for Jesus 24-7. It's not Jesus 1-3. One Sunday morning, three hours. Oh, that's a decent service, isn't it? You're probably not going to come for three hours if you're a 1-3. It'd probably be more like 190 minutes. (laughs) And it's not just all about doing church. Because you're going to have people who are so involved in, in, in maybe another ministry or in some kind of business that they're not going to be making the coffee because this is the one morning when they aren't responsible for something. And you've got to love them and support them not to be in service on a Sunday morning. But they'll still be living Jesus 24-7. Ha. Oh. Anyway, what about his daughter? Ignoring this, he said, there's no cause to be afraid. Let's move on. Now, Jesus would not allow any of the crowd to follow him. There is a time to put all the doubters and the fearful people out of the room. This isn't about cutting them off and saying, I'm having nothing to do with you anymore. But there are times when you want to meet and pray You don't really want that group all in there saying, you shouldn't be praying like that. That's not going to work. I don't believe that. You gather the group together that believes. Makes sense, doesn't it? There are times to do that. But what you don't want it to become is we do that all the time because we're exclusive because then that's the opposite of what's going on. But it's good to see that Jesus knew there was a time And I don't mean it was good that he was doing that. I mean, it's good to see that we can do that when it's right to exclude the unbelief because you want to just gather together with people that believe. I don't really believe in that that sometimes people just, you know, scatter prayer requests on Facebook. Why why are you going to scatter all those prayer requests when a lot of it's just going to fall with people that don't believe what you're praying for anyway? Since two or three, when they gather, meet with Jesus, you actually only need two or three. You don't have to share it with lots and lots of people, especially on the internet. So they went into the house, and he got Peter, James, and John with him, and the child's parents. Uh, And it says there was a great noise with prayer, people crying and mourning, so it wasn't like walking into a faith atmosphere, to be honest. 
Jesus went into the house and asked them, why are you making all this noise? She's only asleep. But they laughed at him. Your faith will be laughed at if it's real faith by the world. <laughs> you what? You think God is good at what? Particularly in the workplace. It's okay, it's normal. You're different. You have a different spirit. Don't take offense. They're just being normal. He told them to all leave the house. <laughs> then he took the child's parents together with his three disciples into the child's room and took her by the hand and said, Little child, I say to you, get up. The girl stood up immediately and walked around, for she was about 12 years old. All present were amazed. But Jesus gave them strict instructions not to tell anyone about how this had happened. Why did he do that? Because he's trying to prevent the crowds from stopping him doing anything. But I love the last little line. He told them to give the girls something to eat. In all the excitement that people could have forgotten, she was hungry. And even in incredible interactions like this, Jesus is still concerned about the little things. Listen, let's just finish. There's so much I could say. Tomorrow morning, I will give a, a short teaching on communion because we're going to have a fire tunnel communion together. And, amongst, and we're also going to hear back from all the groups and we're all going to worship together. It's going to be a fantastic family celebration. And believe me, through the bread, the wine, and the fire tunnel, you are going to get blown away by God. Because communion is so much more than we think it is. It's something that God is really restoring, I think, to the church, particularly sort of the, the charismatic, jingly church like us. <laughs> you know, we've kind of lowered its importance. I don't know where jingly came from either, Kath. It just did. <laughs> Happy, clappy, jingly, it's the same stuff. I just want to finish with one thing that was going to be a whole session, but I haven't got rid of, rid, through half of my stuff, and I need to just say this in about three minutes, which was a whole preaching session, so listen fast. So going across the lake again. <laughs> but this time they've gone off without Jesus. He sent them ahead. You know that one? Uh, by evening, he was still on the land, he being Jesus, while the disciples' boat was in the middle of the lake. And he could see they were struggling to row against the strong headwind again. <laughs> in the early hours of the morning, Jesus walked on the lake in their direction. Why? <laughs> I don't know. He's Jesus. Uh, it seemed that he was going to walk straight past them. Cool. Just get there before them and leave them rowing. Um, it seemed he was going to walk straight past them, but the disciples saw him, but thinking this must be a ghost, <laughs> they cried out in fear. Jesus called to them immediately, have courage, all of you. I'm not a ghost, you wombats. It is I, don't be afraid. It doesn't say wombats. As soon as he climbed into the boat with them, the wind died down. The disciples were awestruck. They had failed to understand the multiplication of the loaves. What? <laughs> oh yeah, that's so logical. That's, that's a, yeah, storm.
storms, waves, winds. We've been across this lake numerous times. Jesus has said, quiet, be still. It happens all over again. Jesus walks along, jumps in the boat. The storm says, they'd forgotten about the loaves. <laughs> they hadn't forgotten the loaves. They'd forgotten about the loaves. What on earth is he talking about? Has John lost it at this moment? No. Just before this is the feeding of the 5,000. And if you remember, the feeding of the 5,000, they'd got their boys' picnic, really, some bread and some fish, and it feeds 5,000. But who gave it out? So in whose hands did that bread multiply? So the reason it says here, and John says, they'd failed to understand the loaves in the sinking incident <laughs> is because they'd forgotten that the power was with them. It's exactly the same lesson as that first storm that we looked at on the first day. Yes, Jesus did say, quiet, be still. Yes, you can call out to Jesus and he comes and answers prayer because he's just amazing. Yes, you can be like the, the, the um, Jairus, the synagogue leader, and say, Jesus, come into my home and bring your healing. Or you can be like the woman and pressing through the crowds. And we do need to be. But also... It multiplies in our hand. We're here to still storms and multiply bread and to lay these hands on people so that they're healed. And anoint them with oil like the disciples did and as elders are encouraged to do. And they will get well. Because we, as Jesus is in this world, so are we. I just love that little story. The boat's about to sink. They'd forgotten about the bread. But it makes complete sense. They'd forgotten about the multiplication of the loaves. When Jesus commands us to do, go to the other side. He empowers us to do it. And when the storms come and when the waves come over the edges of the boat, we can say, be still. And when the enemy goes, you can muzzle him. You can choose to let him whistle in your ear or you can choose to muzzle him. But it's your choice. When he says, just smoke that, it'll make you feel better. You can either muzzle him or you can listen to him. But it is your choice. Whether it's a cigarette or whether it's a joint, it will be the same voice. Are you going to muzzle or are you going to listen? Don't forget the loaves. They landed on the other side. This is the end of it, that story. The people recognized Jesus. You remember Mark 2 1 and it was noised? I bet you do. This time it says they ran throughout the area with the news. There has been a building up. 
They're not just talking about it now. They're running around saying, he's here. Can you see what God is doing? If you thought it was exciting to think of the people just wanting to see us, what about when they start running around telling their friends and their families, I found Jesus. That's normal. That's God's normal. So people came from the entire region, which is why we pray for Scarborough, our region, and our nation. I'm never quite sure where God draws the boundaries of our region. I kind of, you know, we're Yorkshire, so we'll have the whole lot. Hey, it's a long way to our place from Sheffield, but, you know, it's nicer. (laughs) Sorry, anybody in Sheffield listening on the recordings. So the people came from the entire region, bringing sick with them on mats to whatever town or country area where Jesus happened to be. They would place the sick in the marketplaces, not the synagogues, marketplaces. It's where the church is, is and is going to be. Desperate, and this is the very, very last bit, not the loaves. Desperate, they should be able to touch. What had this woman done? This one woman had caused a revival of faith because they were desperate they should be able to touch just the edge of his clothing. And back in Mark 2.1, it says, Jesus healed many from a whole variety of diseases. And now it says, and all who touched him were healed. This one woman, this one unclean woman, this one woman that wasn't welcome in the presence of all those people that reached through and touched hold of Jesus because she dared to be different, because she dared to touch Jesus, because she dared to push through the crowd. Now, suddenly, the word spread and a whole, everybody's trying to touch Jesus and every single person that touched him was healed. Never think, oh, it doesn't matter about little old me. Little old me is not little old me when you're standing on the back of Father God. What you do, what you live, what you say, how you, your example can change a nation. You say, well, it's just me. I live in a terraced house in Scarborough. Yes, you can change a nation. Who knows what it might be that might get out. This little old woman, this woman that shouldn't have been there, she reached out and touched his talif. She reached out and touched that tassel. She received by faith the healing she was expected. Jesus identified her and all the persons, people around thought, whoa, touch Jesus and you get healed. Faith rose until by this time, after sailing backwards and forwards across this lake, They've landed, people are running through the cities and people are coming up in the marketplace now, not just at somebody's door, not in the synagogue, but in the marketplace. This is in the open, this is in the ordinary place, this is in the businesses, this is in the supermarkets, this is in the schools, this is in the universities. People are saying, I just need to touch Jesus. Well, who are they going to touch? You! Because as he is in the world, so are we. So they just need to touch us to touch Jesus. We've got to have a connection between us that says, well, he is your answer. Wow. Who knows? Which, who is the shawl toucher in this room? Who knows? Is the, who is the person that will do a tassel touching action that will spread through a whole region, causing people to run to Jesus? You just don't know. It just don't, all we know is it's a person with faith. She was no priest, she was no rabbi, she was no teacher, she was no leader, she was just a lady who was bleeding. But that one thing caused the revival. Not Jesus, 
She did it. Her face. And I tell you what, that's who we are, folks. That's who we are. This is not a, this is what we're going to be, this is what we need to be, this is a, this is what we are, this is what this word says we are. As Jesus is, so are we are in this world. Fear may have prevented us, but we've left it on the floor. Anxiety may have paralysed us, but we've left it on the floor. And we are saying, no, I'm going on, I'm going past all these things, I will leave them on the floor. I may have some bad days, I may have some terrible weeks, but I tell you what, I'm going to push, and I'm going to shove, and I'm going to touch, because I'm going to see a nation change. Well, I'm glad you two stood. Thank you. <laughs> Anybody would think we were full of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Do you know what we're going to do to finish tonight? What the ministry is going to be? What the response is going to be? I want you to do really what Ron and Brian just did. Sorry if there's anybody else and I didn't see you. They were the loudest. But just as a sort of prophetic intention of pushing through the crowd, why don't we just stand and praise and clap Jesus at the tops of our voices to finish saying, yes, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Let's go then. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.